Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. And here's one of the reasons why we've been going through this thing, the, the, the series called The Basics, The Fundamentals, is because fundamentals count. Fundamentals matter. I was a football coach, and I think I used this illustration, whether it's football or baseball or, 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 uh, or music, whatever it may be, if you let the fundamentals slip, everything else falls apart, right? Anyone watch professional football here? Now, I was, Ron did his daughter's wedding. Last week, that's where I was in West Virginia. Ron did his daughter's wedding, and he lowered himself to use a football illustration. And I thought, he's finally learning. He's finally learning. He's asked for forgiveness. Well, I watch football, and I watch it with a different eye now that I coach. And there's, this, there's, there's certain fundamentals. One of them is breaking down, right? You break down when you're playing D-back, right, cornerback or whatever. You break down on safety, and the running back is coming towards you. And if you don't break down, and he makes a shift, he makes a move, guess what happens to your ankles? He breaks your ankles. That's what it's called. You miss the tackle because you didn't follow the fundamentals. You turned and tried to chase him, and uh, he's faster than you. Uh, those are fundamentals. And what happens? The guy gets a touchdown. What happens to the enemy when we forget the fundamentals of the faith? What happens to the enemy when we forget how important church is? What happens in our lives is we are hurt. We are harmed. And not only are we harmed, our family is harmed. Our family is harmed. I was talking to uh, a former uh, student ministry, uh, a student of mine back when I was a a youth pastor here, and, and we were talking about temptation, and, and she said, what do you do when, when you face temptation? Like, um, you get married and things don't automatically change, right? If you get married, you're still a guy and you're still attracted to women. What do you do uh, when, when someone attracts you, when you feel that chemistry or whatever? And I said, well, the only thing I can tell you, right, here's a fundamental of resisting temptation. Are you ready for it? Run away. Run away. <laughs> Run away. Right? Run away. Pursue the faith with others who follow after the faith, the Bible says, with a pure heart. Not only do we run away from temptation, but we run away with people who also want to run away, who want to follow Jesus. So it's not just the negative, it's the positive. Not only do we run away, but we run toward towards something with others who are running towards something. There's a fundamental that we should not let slip. And the reason we're talking about the church is that we live in a culture today in the United States of America where church is, uh, is almost a recreational activity. It's almost like going to the gym. You know, I'm going to go to church this week and get pumped up and, and, and you miss it. And you're like, ah, I, I didn't go to the gym. Obviously, you can see me. I, don't, I, I had a gym membership for like two years, and I mean, look at me, I'm buff, huge, I made it to the gym, I mean, I paid a regular tie to that gym, what were we paying, 75 bucks a month, and not a lot, but, 
And I think I made it to the gym five times in two years. And then finally my wife had a conversation with me about the fact that, um, I don't know how she said it, but something like just having the membership won't make you healthy. I'm like, really? <laughs> Is that how it works? That stinks. Well, the church is not like a gym, though. The church is not optional. If you're a believer in Jesus, church is not optional. It's not something that you can give or take. It is organized. It was organized by God and represented by local churches all through these last 2,000 or so years. And there are people who claim to be Christians today, and they are leading other people astray by saying, I don't believe in organized religion. The Bible doesn't teach organized religion. And they sound spiritual, and I've said this ad nauseum now, just because something sounds spiritual doesn't mean that it is. So, Matthew chapter 16, we're looking at Jesus when he founded the church. He says, when, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. All of those people are dead, and so what they're saying is, they believe that you're one of these prophets raised from the dead or another incarnation of them. And he said to them, these are the guys that live with him, eat with him, work with them. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, that you are Peter and on this rock, now, this is it. I will build my church. I will build my called out assembly. I will build my gathering. I'll build my people. And the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. Who's building the church? Jesus is building the church. I will build my church. And his churches are represented by local churches all over the world. Some are giant, some are small, some are contemporary, some are traditional, some are African, some are American, some are even Canadian, some are uh, South, South American. I have uh, missionary friends from Paraguay, missionary friends in Uruguay, folks planting churches, seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, Rick Morin is a builder, and he builds houses, and, and the, one of the first things they do is they dig out a foundation, and they, and they build the foundation first, and they make, sure the founda they make sure the foundation is level and square, right? It's a plumb line. He makes sure that it's secure. He checks the walls before he begins to build the, the, um, the walls around it. He checks that foundation. If the foundation is not secure, what happens to the building? It's condemned. It doesn't work. Jesus said, I will build my church, but... Not only is building the foundation and, and setting everything in place important, but it's also organized. Rick doesn't walk into a, a building project and just start throwing walls up on dirt, does he? That would be foolish. Matter of fact, Jesus talks in a parable about a foolish man building a house on sand versus a man building it on a sure foundation of rock. Folks, the church was organized from the very beginning. In fact, as we, as we go through these passages of Scripture, we see that Jesus had a treasurer in his church of all things. He had a treasurer in his church of all things. And so we know the church had a treasurer. We know it had deacons. We looked at this in the last several weeks. So I want to challenge you because I don't want to take up a lot more time. 
I want to challenge you to go on YouTube, Emmanuel Hooks It, youtube.com slash Emmanuel Hooks It, or go on to Apple or Spotify or iHeart and find Emmanuel Hooks It, uh, and, and go back to these last several sermons on the church, the basics, part one, two, three, four, and five, and, and you'll see several things that are of great importance. The church is organized. The church has leadership. The, uh, the church has a mission. The church has members. Membership is biblical. Folks, becoming a member of a church, a part of the family, is biblical. It's necessary. We look out for each other. We provide things for each other within the context of the church. And so I want to shift now to the responsibilities of the membership. The responsibilities of the membership, and here's one big one. Your relationship with your pastor. Your relationship with your pastor. Uh, I said this, I'll say it again, that uh, without a proper relationship the pastor cannot perform the duties that God has called him to. Without a proper relationship with his church and without a proper relationship, uh, the church cannot perform the duties that God is calling her to because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 through the end, it talks about how we as leadership and pastors equip you for the ministry of the saints. It's my job is to equip you. Uh, and so your job, we, we looked at this the last time I was here, submission, and, and it's a touchy subject, and some people think it's a dirty word, and they're like, oh, submission means I'm inferior. But can I tell you that my job is also to raise up a church who looks, loves, thinks, and acts like Jesus? And, and this is what the Bible teaches us about Jesus. He submitted himself, the Bible says in Philippians, to the Father, to the point of dying for the sins of the world. Submission is Jesus trusting the Father so much that he gave his life for the church. Do you understand? Submission is the highest form of trust. Submission is the highest form of trust. It's where we, we place ourselves in the hands of another. And talk about marriage, and the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, and husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The reason why wives are called to submit to their husbands is because husbands are to, they're supposed to be like Jesus, so that their wives are their first priority, right? Taking care of their spouse is number one. And that way, when, when the spouse, when the wife sees that submission, is a natural result of love and trust. And we talked about reasons why submission is difficult for, for people coming into a church. And, and uh, I'll just give you them briefly. One is that the Bible teaches us to warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uh, and um, ah, I lost it, thank you, uphold the weak. So there are people that refuse to submit because they are unruly. They don't care whether or not the person is trustworthy they don't care how much the person loves the church. They don't care about any of that. They don't care about the experience. They don't care about history. They just say, I will not be ruled by a man, period. I was pastoring another, pastoring another church, and a pastor came to my church to visit, and I think sometimes pastors are the worst. And, and we were taking the Lord's Supper, and I said, listen, in, in our church, we, 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 we would ask that if you're not part of this family, that you would just hold off from taking the Lord's Supper today. I've changed my position on that since, but... Either way, I said, just please respect this pastor and, and our position. Now, if I went to a church and that was their position, that the Lord's Supper was membership only, you know what I would do? I would abstain. 
It's your local church. You want to do it that way? Great. God bless you. You're wrong, but whatever. Uh, after the service, he came up to me and he said, I obey no man. I obey God. And I thought, wow. And you're pastor in a church, man. Good luck. Good luck to you. I honor no man. I honor God. Well, the Bible teaches us that we're to honor the men of God and honor one another. We're to outdo each other in giving honor to each other. We're in, we're in an honor-giving competition in the local church. You realize that? That might change your life a little bit, by the way. If you're living uh, with, a, with, a, with a wife or a husband outdoing, giving her honor, and she's outdoing, giving you honor, there may be peace in our homes. Maybe there'd be peace in our churches if we learn how to do that. The second one was comfort the faint-hearted, those who are who are weary and, and, and maybe they've, they've worked so hard and they've burned themselves out. Folks, listen, if you're burning out, you're doing it wrong. Uh, and as a pastor, I read a lot of articles or I see a lot of articles over the last 12 years I've pastored Emmanuel and, and pastoral burnout, pastoral burnout, pastoral burnout. And, and, I, and it's a real thing. It's a real thing, but I would say this, and maybe because I haven't burnt out completely yet. You're doing it wrong. He said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Uh, there, was a, there was an evangelist back in the 1800s, late 1800s, D.L. Moody, and he had, a, he had a worship leader, Ira Sankey, legendary. He wrote many, many hymns, Ira Sankey did. And, and he was coming, uh, if I remember the story correctly, he was trying to come to one of these big evangelism campaigns. It was, it was a really big time service that he was coming to. Think Billy Graham, right? And uh, Ira was sick. And, and he was, he was going to come anyway because he was serving his Jesus and I'm coming sick. And, and D.L. Moody looked at him and said, what impression of Jesus are you trying to give to the body of Christ? That he's a harsh taskmaster? That he would require you and to drag yourself here half dead? Listen, it's not about your faithfulness, it's about him. Stop trying to prove yourself. Um, Surround yourself with people that will hold you up. Uh, I digress, I digress. The next thing is uphold the weak. Those are those that their, their faith might be, have, have been weakened. Uh, they're, maybe they're new believers and we need to bring them along gently. Maybe they've been hurt, they've been wounded. You heard me give the example of the woman that came into my church and said, uh, uh, I don't want to offend you, but I don't trust you because you're a pastor and pastors have hurt me. And I said, well, okay, I completely understand that. All I ask is you just sit and breathe. We're not going to ask anything of you. We just want to be a blessing to you. And gradually, her, her faith was restored, her trust was restored, and she became a, a serving member of our church. It was beautiful to see God heal hurting people through Emmanuel. My wife and I have seen that as part of our ministry all the way back to our Lighthouse Baptist days back in 2004. So submission, the, the fourth category is that the leader is bad. And we talked about that. There, there are qualifications that God has given to the church so that she, and the church is referred to as a her, as a she. She's the bride of Christ. The church is gendered. It's, a, it's the bride of Christ. And, and the Bible has given the bride of Christ criteria, qualifications for a pastor, teacher, a lead bishop, if you will. Uh, you find them in 1 Timothy, Titus. You find them in 1 Peter. You find them in the, in the book of Acts. And, and the reason why God has given us this, these, these qualifications is because that position of pastor requires something from the church. Submission is one. And we're going to look at a few others 
this morning. And so I believe this, that if a man is wearing the mantle of pastor in the church, the church ought to deal with that pastor appropriately, number one. But number two, or I would say number one, is he should be worthy of the mantle that he's wearing. You don't just salute the stripes on the uniform. The person in the uniform should be worthy of the stripes. And I know that in the military, that's not always how it is. But in the church, it should be. In the church, it should be. And, and we went over the qualifications. And if, again, if you missed the last several services, I hope that you'll go back and, and watch and listen because I, I just don't have time to, to jump into it now. But let me just say it this way as easily and quickly as I can. He should be a man of honor. He should be a man of honor. That kind of sums everything up. He should be an honorable man. He should have a good family. And his children should be following Jesus. Let's move on. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's a missionary, and as he planted churches, he pastored churches until he moved on to plant other churches. And here is one thing that is so important, a responsibility of the membership is prayer, um, prayer for her pastor. Now, I, I want you to understand that in, in most cases, all of the stuff that we're going to talk about, you're already doing. Emmanuel is awesome. And I just like give you guys a shout out give glory to God for this church. Uh, my family went through some difficult times in the last 12 years. We've had, less, we've had fewer years where we were not going through some terrible trial than we have had years where we were going through a terrible trial. It's, or it's, it's getting close to even. Um, and this church has been amazing. The prayer that you have poured over me and my family have been tremendous, the prayers and the support in that way. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to tell you some things that, share with you some things that you should be praying, obviously uh, for our well-being. But in this instance, Paul is asking for the Word of God to have free reign to work in the hearts and the minds of those who hear it. When was the last time you prayed for the message? How many of you guys prayed this week don't raise your hands. You prayed this week and you say, Lord, please give pastor the message that we need to hear. Lord God, fill pastor with the Holy Spirit. Make sure he's following you in preaching what we at Emmanuel are supposed to hear. Now, uh, somebody said you get what you ask for. If you're, if you're coming to church and you're like, oh, the messages aren't really hitting me. Well, did you ask for it? Did you pray for it? Did you ask God to lead me to the right passages of Scripture to expound the right topics to bring the Scripture into? Did you pray for the pastor and his preaching ministry and his teaching ministry? Did you pray for the message? Paul was saying, Lord, uh, guys, pray for me that when I speak, that word will be quick and powerful, effective in the hearts of those that hear it. That was one thing that he was asking for. And then he was asking for prayer from de uh, for deliverance from evil men, if you follow that through. Pastors are under assault today, and that's part of the reason why we're teaching on this, is that people think that vocational ministry is unbiblical and ungodly, and that it's foolish, and people that participate in churches that have vocational ministry are participating in unbiblical churches. And I'm here to tell you that the Word of God is the opposite of that thought process. The Word of God teaches vocational ministry, 
teaches pastors are imperative to having a healthy and actually a legitimate church. Okay? So you pray for deliverance from evil men. Pray for boldness to preach the word. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. For me, this is the Apostle Paul saying, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I think I mentioned to you when I got up here, I really don't want to preach this message. It's like preaching about yourself and your position is difficult to do, and it takes a little bit of courage to do this. Uh, It would just be easier for me to ignore this part, but it's not good for you that I ignore this part. Uh, But there are other passages of Scripture that God has called me to preach on that go counter to our culture. Folks, and it's, it's difficult to preach what God says when the culture is absolutely opposed to what God says. And so Paul and I are asking you to pray for me that I might have courage, that I might have boldness, and that whatever God calls me to preach, whatever he calls me to teach, that I would be obedient to him and have the courage to follow through. So we pray that that the pastor would have boldness, emotional strain. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 through 30 talks about the fact that, that he has the care of the church, deep concern for all churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who's made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? This is the Apostle Paul. The care for the church. Now, some of you are trying, uh, instead of praying for me in my emotional well-being, you're avoiding me and you're keeping your struggles from me. And here Paul is saying, I'm with the weak, and and I'm with those that are hurt, and and, and I'm with the sheep, and I feel their pain, and I walk with them in their pain. And, and, And the way to help the pastor is not to just avoid everything and pretend everything is great and never go to him and ask him for help or prayer or whatever it may be, is pray for him. Pray for my emotional well-being. Pray for the emotional well-being of the other leaders in your church. Pray for us. The enemy is constantly attacking the leadership of local churches. And you can see it again in the, in the culture, the spiritual strain of the church. I shared with you one of, my, um, one of the scriptures that most terrify me is that I must give an account for you when I get to heaven. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be, hey, how'd you live your life, buddy? Good job. It's going to be, hey, how'd you pastor my church? How did you pastor my people? Were you faithful to give them the word as I gave it to you? Did you love them? Did you care for them? How'd you do that? And so from 2009 to the time I'm done, I'm going to have this period of time where I am responsible for Emmanuel in Hooksit, and I will stand before Jesus, and I will give an account for my ministry here. That's stinking scary. Let's pretend that's not there, but no, pray for that spiritual strain. Pray that I would have the energy and the memory to pray for you and the heart. Pray for the teaching ministry of the church. This is, uh, this is my teaching ministry and, and how we pass it down through our Bible life circles and the other pastor teachers in the church. I disciple our leaders in the church. Sometimes they don't think that that's happening, but it's reality. It's the lead pastor pastors the pastors of the church. And they help pastor the church, and they help teach the church. Folks, we, we need prayers for that, prayers for that teaching ministry. Pray that I can understand what I'm reading 
in the context that God wrote it. Pray that the Spirit would illuminate me to the truths of the Scripture that will challenge and, and help you to be conformed to the image of Christ. Pray for my personal walk with Jesus. I think pe- people think that pastors are perfect. People think that pastors are perfect or that they should be perfect. And they, they think that, that, uh, uh, um, that their home life is, is, uh, is impeccable, spotless. And, oh, your marriage must be so wonderful. And um, you must have devotions at home every night. And when you walk in your house, it must be like walking on streets of gold. Like the ramp up to the porch is paved with gold. And you're already in heaven. And it's just not true. When I started to pastor, I was a lead pastor, and we planted Lighthouse Baptist Church up in Bosco and Penacook area, and, and one of the first things I realized was how hard it was to maintain my personal daily walk with Jesus. We had a couple of kids up from a Bible college, and they helped us out for a week, and, and one of my jobs was to share with them struggles of the ministry and what, what's the most difficult thing that you found in planting a church in New England, right? New England is called the preacher's graveyard. And I said, the, the most difficult thing about planting a church is my personal walk with Jesus. Because you're busy. And you're caring for everybody else. And the easiest thing is to have spirituality where you're caring for everybody else, but you don't care for yourself. Where you're concerned with everyone else's spiritual walk, And the next thing you realize is yours is in the tank. So church, please pray for my own personal walk. Pray for victory in my life. Pray that I would be submissive to my Father who is in heaven. That's in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 5. Pray for my personal walk with Jesus. Pray for my family. Pray for my family. The qualifications is is that I rule my own house well, have children in submission with all reverence, when was the last time you prayed for the pastor's family? I don't think either child is in sanctuary, are they? Uh, I was talking with my wife. We went away to Virginia to Ron Ancy's daughter's wedding. It was, it was the first time we were able to get away with almost no feeling of anxiety and what's happening back at home and, and things. And, uh, it was a great, great weekend away. And, and while we were away, we were talking, and, and I, don't, I don't really harp on this, but a pastor's kid is an unusual creature. You know, a lot of pastor's pastor's kids abandon the faith. There's a couple of reasons for that, I think. One is their pastor, their dad, wasn't really living it out in front of them. This is just a job to them. The other is the churches can be really mean mean to pastor's kids. And I don't think our church is. I think this church is wonderful. Uh, You guys have been tremendous for my kids. But in spite of all that, my kids still feel this weird pressure, this strange pressure. Because, and I never really thought about this, because I chose this life, right? God chose me to do this, and so I said yes. So when I walk on the property, I expect everybody knows who I am. It's what God called me to. God didn't call my kids, necessarily. Every time they walk on the property, they know that everybody knows who they are. You ever think about that? Like, maybe you just look at them and it's just Nate and Chloe, and you're like, oh, whatever, it's just Nate and Chloe. To them, every time they walk on this property, 
they realize they're different. They realize they, they represent me. They realize people are looking at them. And there's this pressure. And you, to my knowledge, except for a few of you that are annoying, <laughs> have never put that pressure on them. And I hope you never will. Most of you haven't. It only takes a few, though, by the way, to make them feel like everybody is doing it. So when I say pray for the family, absolutely, and my, and my wife as well. She, she was called to marry me, but she's not called to be a pastor. And so when they walk on the property, they automatically feel this pressure. It's almost like, a, in a sense, like this celebrity kind of thing where everybody knows you. And a lot of pastors' kids have made this comment, and you read these articles, and it talks about living in the fishbowl, living in the fishbowl where everybody sees what you're doing, everybody knows what you're doing, and if they screw up, everybody knows about it. If they mess up, everybody knows about it. And unfortunately, instead of loving the pastor and his family, the Bible says love thinks the best, right? Love thinks no evil. People look at the leader's kids, and their first thought is evil. Like, oh, look what they did wrong. Or they might see him in a certain place and wonder, well, why are they there? Oh, are they doing something bad? And so when I say pray for my family, that's, that's what I mean. Like pray for my kids that their faith would be genuine. Pray for my kids that they would not walk away from the faith that we delivered to them. Pray for them that, that they would follow Jesus, that they would be examples to all the other young adults and teenagers in this church as those that believe in Jesus and follow him. The pressure is real. The pressure is there. And so I would just ask you, if you would please consider our family and pray for us. Pray for us. And then in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he says this, We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you in the Lord and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He goes on in verse 13, it's not on the slides, but he goes on, he says, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. And so I would like to challenge you to love and esteem your leaders. This is where, this is where that pastor got it wrong when he was in the church that I was pastoring. I honor no man. Well, the Bible says, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Uh, I'm, I'm not always going to be here, guys. And I know that I'm making a lot of people nervous. Uh, I always felt like I would be at a manual until my son graduated high school. I, I'm certain of that with pretty much 100% certainty. My son's a sophomore in high school right now. Right? You know what that means, right? He's got three years left. Fingers crossed. Now, don't pray that he fails. <laughs> don't pray that he becomes a super senior. Uh, and honestly, I think I might have 10 years left. I just don't know. But I know at least three years. And folks, I'm not always going to be here. And I want you to love the next pastor the way you have loved me. And you have loved me well. I do think that as our pendulum swung from legalism and over-elevating the man of God, and, and we, we kind of went overboard on that, that the pendulum swung a little too far and we, we ceased to realize the importance of the position of that lead pastor. 
And we forget the importance of his position under the headship of Christ and leadership in the church. And, and this is why I think, again, going back to the fundamentals is so important. So when we read that passage, he says, I urge you, brethren. He's urging this church to recognize, and that means to know and to respect. To, uh, it's, it's like the recognition award, right? Like you, you need to give them the recognition that they are due, Okay urges them to love and respect the pastor, Uh, especially, uh, I like what he said in verse 12, who are over you in the Lord. Again, organizational structure, they are over you in the Lord. And what's that last, second to last word there? What is it? What is it again? I can't. Admonish you. You're supposed to love and respect the person that gives you a hard time right? Think about it. You're supposed to love and respect the person that's going to teach and preach things that step on your toes, that challenge your sensibilities. You're supposed to love and respect the person that says, hey, you are following the culture and the culture is wrong. Even when they admonish you, and I would say this, especially when they admonish you in the Lord to love and to esteem them. And Titus chapter 1, verse 3, he says, This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, 11, 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 11, and 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 7, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5, and Jude, the whole book, talks about a pastor's responsibility to admonish and to rebuke, right? Uh, there are times when the pastor must stand before the church And he can't just be a soft, best buddy kind of thing. And I think you know me, and and I love you, and I don't really like hammering people, but God calls me to do it. I'm going to do it. And there are times when we must, when there is some uh, false doctrine being peddled outside of the church that's beginning to push into the church. My job is to rebuke that doctrine soundly and sharply and even rebuke the people involved in bringing it in. That's the responsibility of a pastor. No, it's not always fun. Confrontation is terrible. But that's my responsibility. So there are times where I will stand before the church and I might even sound angry. Have you met my Jesus? He went into the temple one day, and there were these stone, they, they believe there were these stone tables, and on the stone tables they had, they had sacrificial animals, and they were selling them at an exorbitant rate. And, and if you know the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, listen, God made it so that even the poorest person could make a sacrifice to him, a turtle dove. But here in the temple, they were selling turtle doves for, uh, <laughs> let's say inflation was higher than it is now. And Jesus walked into that temple. He made a whip. <laughs> he threw these stone tables over and he chased these men out of the temple. And he said, my father's, to be a, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a house of merchandise. So yes, there are times when the pastor will preach in an angry way, in a, in a very direct and pointed way, and that is when it is necessary but it must always be delivered in love. I'm going to leave you with, oh, Lord, really? <laughs> be at peace among yourselves. In that passage of Scripture in 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, 
and be at peace among yourselves. Our relationship with the pastor, uh, your peacefulness is your responsibility in how we have a relationship with each other. There's nothing worse than a pastor who has to run around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, putting out fires. You know what I'm talking about. Altercations between different people in the church and, 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 and these people can't seem to settle it on their own and then we've got to drag the pastor into it. And I'm not saying that the pastor shouldn't be coming into these things. What I am saying is you should learn how to resolve them on your own. Church, you need to learn how to be at peace among yourselves. You need to learn. There's people that have had aught against uh, uh, brothers in the church here. I'm, I'm, I'll pick on Angel because he's easy. I mean, I can't imagine anybody having aught against Angel. But, uh, and instead of going to Angel and, and listen and saying, hey, we need to talk, they just harbor the grudge. And again, Angel is a lot like me. I'm just going to be honest with you. We both can have a really abrasive personality. And, and we have to work at being approachable and, and loving and soft and kind and just genuinely gooey. And um, Angel, you have to work at that? Or is it natural to you? He's all those things. Um, but being at peace among ourselves means that we, we take the chance to, to, to confront. And, and it means that when we confront, we do it. And I know you've heard this. Have you heard this before? The aim of confrontation is what? What is it? So when I go to Angel, and Angel has ticked me off, by the way. We have had times where, I mean, I would use a different word if I wasn't standing here. Uh, and, and we have had confrontation. But the goal was not, I'm going to put Angel in his place. That is, not, that is not the goal. The goal is my relationship with Angel is fractured, and I want it fixed because I love Angel and he is my brother in the Lord. And so it's going to be a confrontation, but the goal is restoration. Folks, I keep preaching this because people keep missing it. And it's, I'm going to put you in your place, and I'm going to get you back, and I'm not going to be a carpet, and, and all of these things, and peace among yourselves is, is not in it. It's more like, I'm going to crush you so you never hurt me again. That is not godly. Matter of fact, God calls for forbearance. You know, the things that I just said about myself, you know, sometimes I'm abrasive and it's just my personality. And uh, if it's not sinful, folks, we're forbear each other, put up with each other. That's what the Bible, listen, that literally what forbearance means is to bear under, bear up each other, put up with each other. Be approachable. Uh, for Angel and I, we had to work on this. The only way you can be approachable is to prove yourself over time. If you've been a jerk once, everyone is going to assume the next time they talk to you, you're going to be a jerk. Can you imagine that? Why would they think that? If, you're, if your character is that way, you have character development issues. You need to develop an approachable character. It's earned over time as you remain calm, moderate in your responses. It doesn't mean that you're always going to agree with the people and you don't always have to agree with them. And sometimes they misinterpret that, and that's okay, that's just life, and that's where we bear with each other and we agree to disagree. Confrontation, restoration is the aim. And then finally, without this, there can be no restoration. Without recognition of wrong, repentance, there can be no restoration. There'll be an uneasy alliance, but there won't be restoration. So if there is a party that has truly wronged the other party, folks, your, your responsibility is to repent. 
Repent so that relationship can be fixed and be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Well, we're going to close on that and bring you back down to Ephesians chapter 4.12 for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body in Christ. Church, your responsibility to your pastor is all of these things. Pray for him, care for him, show him esteem, love him, right? Those are important things, uh, but also submit so that you can be equipped for the work of the ministry, edifying the body of edifying of the body of Christ. Share in the gospel ministry. What we saw this morning was two people that until they turned their hearts to Jesus and asked him to be their savior, they were on the road to hell. They were lost and they were without hope. And they actually began to watch a friend, right? A friend's service online, a preacher online. And they would watch his service for about a year, I think he said. Uh, And then they they decided that this year they needed to make their walk with God, their journey of faith. They needed to, to make some changes in it. And they needed to find a local place where they could actually attend personally. And so they found Emmanuel through, I know, Ron. And, uh, started coming to our church. And then one day, they, all of the pieces clicked together and they asked Jesus to be their personal Savior once and for all. You know, the Bible says, some sow the seed of the gospel. Your friend was sowing that gospel, sowing that gospel. Jesus died for your sins so that you don't have to pay the price. He already paid the price. He was buried, the Bible says, to make sure that you understand that Listen, when your sins are on the back of Jesus, they are gone. They are buried and they're never being dug up. And then the Bible says he rose from the grave without the sin, left it there in beautiful perfection so that all who would call upon him, the Bible says, shall be saved, period. So they called on Jesus that day, some plant, some water and God gave the increase that day and supernaturally saved your souls and sealed you, the Bible says, for the day of redemption. That's the gospel ministry, church. Uh, We are responsible to do our part. So their friend was planting and Ron was planting and, and I got a chance to water it here as I preached the gospel and then God gave the increase. Do you know Jesus yet? Have you trusted Jesus? Because you can't share in the gospel ministry if you haven't trusted Jesus as your personal savior yet. This is not a club you can belong to. It's a family you have to be born into. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God. Get out there and be the blessing.